The Big Small Business Show is brought to you by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Transform the future of your business. Partner with the CASA today. And the courage to grow is business. MTN Business, a new world of business. Hello, my name is Alon Reyes, and this is the Big Small Business Show. On our menu for today, we have our avoided debate. From time to time, we talk uh, and debate about uh, d- issues that entrepreneurs uh, want to talk about but don't have the guts to. And today, we are talking about that year end uh, holiday, whether it's a good idea or a bad idea. What should we be doing? Should we be, we be on our cell phones? connected or shouldn't we what's the right thing to do and when it comes to that uh, new year when we come and present our brand new strategy to our staff is that the way to go or is there a better way if you want to find out do stay tuned to watch that we are continuing with our leadership series with dr. Nick Erbel and the topic today is marketing leadership stay tuned for this as dr. Nick will guide you on how to choose a primary e-motivator now, our expert slot today is with uh, Tony de Fonseca. He's chairman of FASA, that's the Franchise Association of South Africa, and he's going to be talking to us about how franchise contributed to job creation uh, and uh, also about the aspirations of FASA. And if you are a franchisee who's experiencing um, some bad treatment by your franchisor, he'll give you some guidance on what to do there. Now, Normally on this uh, slot we have our panel and from time to time we have our avoided debate. The avoided debate is the the discussions that entrepreneurs have, perhaps over a drink or two, and uh, don't really bring it into the public. But we are bringing these topics into the public domain through the avoided debate. Now my co-panelists today are Mona Lisa Sam. Welcome Mona Lisa. Thank you Alain. Okay, and Mona Lisa comes from a very strong retail and marketing background and uh, is the, ni- the nice person on the panel. And Kumaran Padiachi is the finance guru. Um, he is uh, uh, my partner in crime uh, f- in uh, many things, including 2 a.m. avoided debates uh, with a, a glass of whiskey or two. Now today I want to be talking about that because I know that as we come to this side of the year, um, we're approaching December, we're approaching January, and we're approaching two things, which is the year-end holiday and the concept of New Year. Mm. Now, what I've noticed over the last couple of years is that this concept of New Year has changed somewhat, like very much like um, how many other trends have changed. I've noticed that people are now because of cell phone and because of their iPads, because of their more connectivity, that December is not the same switch off that it used to be many years ago where you used to go with the family, go for two or three weeks, come back uh, and then start on the first week uh, of Jan. What's happening now is that we're still engaged in our businesses over that time. So I I wanna pose that and to whether you think that's a good thing or a bad thing or it's maybe just uh, a subject to where you are in your journey or your personality. 
The second thing I want to put in, in, into uh, this discussion today is the concept of a new year and New Year's resolutions and New, new Year strategies, etc. And I want to share with you something that I've done in my business, and I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but I have seen the results. For the, for the last four, three years, I, I've changed my strategy around strategy. So what I used to do over December and January, so at the beginning of January, is the plan, the big, well, here's the strategy for 2015, 2016, 2017, whatever the case may be. I, I put the strategy together, and then I would bring all the staff into the room, and I'd go, rah, 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 here's the whole strategy, and keep them there for a couple of hours, sometimes even a, a full day, if the strategy was that big. And, you know, uh, I, I thought my strategies were very clever, which I think they were, um, but there wasn't the same engagement by the, the staff. What I did three years ago was something completely different. I didn't, s I, I, my view is that strategy is living, okay, and now I basically modify it every day, every week, every month, and communicate that strategy ongoing with, with, the, with my, my staff and my team. And so that I don't have this big January, uh, you know, drum roll and announcement. And so uh, in both those instances, I'm seeing two things happening. There's this flattening of the holiday. This concept of the big holiday is, is in my opinion, evaporating and it's becoming something else. And the whole thing about this big New Year like strategy for me is also flattening and it's, it's moving over the, the year. I'm going to stop there as sort of uh, intro and maybe get some comments to start off this debate. Kumar. Well, there's many things you've loaded into that preamble, <laughs> so I'll try and chew in it as we're going. The first thing is this concept of this annual New Year's. You know, man, as man, there's a quote somewhere, I can't recall it right now, but we have an inherent need to put structure and engineering to things that are not that are, you know, that are disorderly, inherently disorderly. It's our own internal need, and, and there's a good and bad with it. The good is that it calms us down, okay, so we have a uh, runway, we know what's happening, and with that it has efficiency, because things can go around. But it's not a natural state. Mm -hmm. So, so the, you know, so th that's the advantage of this annual New Year type of uh, uh, look. But I'm with you in the sense that uh, strategy uh, should not be an annual event mm -hmm. and <coughs> I think what's happening is that we're in a more volatile world a more volatile economy and what is strategy simplistically it's a plan in relation to the context mm -hmm. so if the context is changing often you there's some adjustments and pivoting and adaptation to the strategy and so you, your view is more pragmatic and I don't think it's just unique to you it's it's a trend or people are doing that and even uh, you know we say we make the best laid plans and what God laughs or whatever mm. so so it's a very pragmatic approach that you're doing I do the same thing and uh, and I did shift from that annual or whatever it is uh, kind of view and so now there's a lot more adjustment as you're going you know to to adapt uh, that's on that part um, do you want to respond on strategy? Because then I yeah, can yeah. talk about the renewal well, pause let's part. Let's talk about strategy. Yeah, now, the, no, flattening of the, the flattening of stra the, the strategy. strategy. Yeah. I think I'm in complete agreement with you because when you focused on um, once-off, 
strategy or once off as you call it drum roll it assumes that everything else stays the same it assumes mm. you won't lose any staff it assumes that you know very minute but important things in some entrepreneurs mind you won't fall ill the economy won't change and so forth so that then leaves you static as a, an entrepreneur as a strategist because you're not able to adapt to the environment as Kumaran says so I I've certainly found for myself that um, to be quite honest, even in corporate, I've never been an annual person. Um, I've always been, what is happening now? What is happening now? How have we, um, uh, where are we in, in, you know, in, the last, in the last three months, in the last week, depending on the industry as well. So um, I, I found that helped me adjust a lot better to conditions, to unex unexpected you know, in corporate um, retrenchments are becoming more apparent in some businesses. So if you as that business or that manager have not forecasted that, it's going to throw you off um, if you have only one annual strategy that you're stuck to. Well, it's time for us to take one of those big breaks right now. <laughs> and after that, we'll come back and talk more about the concept of the flattened uh, holiday and the flattened strategy approach. Welcome back and thanks for spending your time with us. Uh, right now we are having our avoided debate and our debate is around the concept of the big December break and is that concept uh, evaporating as we spend more time connected to our iPads and our iPhones and uh, uh, all sorts of uh, connectivity to our businesses and is the concept of the annual strategy session also dissipating? Now, before the break, we were getting, I think there was some consensus here um, amongst the two of you. But I want to maybe bring the, the other side, uh, the well. other side uh, of this. Uh, we'll keep on strategy mm. for now. Because the other side, what I found, and, and I'm just going to speak from a personal point of view of how I operate. So there is a, a broader strategy, and I actually run that on, on Excel. Uh, not as in numbers, but as in pictures, as in organogram, what I'm, it's a design piece. It's designed with tabs, and I'm going to do this, and as the overall, and I break it up. And, and, and what I do on a, sometimes every day, sometimes once a week, I go back to this thing and modif keep modifying it all the time. It's, mm -hmm. it's a living document that I keep sharing with my, my partner and my team, um, and based on input and reality, as you put it. But I always wonder whether that creates a weakness because when you have a deliberate strategy in Jan and saying this is what I want to achieve in December, you go for it. Mm. When you are, are constantly, you have a living strategy, you, have, you might be susceptible to the, well, this is real now, so let's not go there, let's mm. go there. So you become less committed yeah. because you can just delete and something change, and change yeah. all the time. So, a hybrid is a nice way to look at it. <coughs> and there's a, um, this concept called the balance scorecard. Mm -hmm. uh, people think it's about performance management, but that's the tail end. 
generally starts off with a strategy management tool, I think. That's what it is. And in one of the books, there's many books on it, they talk about different types of strategy sessions where you have one uh, once a month and it, it's just a normal uh, a dipstick checklist where you're going. There's a, a light review once a quarter and there may be twice a year or once a year a bigger review. And the bigger review once a year may be in March. Mm -hmm. It's nothing to do with January, December mm. mental kind of thing. But it's the concept of a longer, deeper two-day review of strategy or replanning for the longer range committed plan. And then once a month or once a quarter, there's like just a, a light review and tweaking and adjustment. So that's a hybrid. But it's got nothing to do with December, January. Mm. It's just... I think that's, that's more what the consensus was about, that you, you know, as Kumaran put it, calendar just gives us structure. It mm. gives us a timeline and gives us, in some instances, a pressure to achieve certain things in, within a certain period of time. But if you are to then believe that a strategy is a living organism that continuously evolves and changes, but depending on what you have achieved within the time that you had set yourself out for and what you haven't achieved, that's what you're reviewing. And you're then reviewing the external circumstances that may have contributed to that. And a review is not always negative. Sometimes you've surpassed what you thought, where you thought you would be at a certain period of time, not driven by any calendar, just driven by certain circumstances or an approach within the business. Um, that, so I think for me, it's the mentality of saying it, it's not a January thing. It's not a December thing. It's a, it's a moment in time where you're taking a view in your business about where you are and where you should have been or, or how, how well you are, you know, where you are in terms of that. I want to just contradict myself or give you a different perspective on our speaking <coughs> for the January, December thing. Mm. Okay. Uh, no, because it, I believe in seeing both sides. I know, of mm. course, and I was pros and cons uh, to things. So as a default, there's a good merit in the in the in the January, December mm. pause, reflection, anxiety about what have I done with my life in the last year. Let me reflect. <coughs> so, you know, man likes to put that calendar thing in place. Religions have certain uh, 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 symbolic uh, holidays or or, or, or uh, r uh, religious days that uh, foster reflection and meditative aspects, mm. and that design is there for a purpose. But if we, if we ignore man and look at nature, we have seasons, mm. Mm. and that's a that's in itself a kind of renewal. There's a purpose in that. Mm. We look at the snake that sheds its skin, so it's also something embedded in the in the biology as well. And mm. if we take that wisdom or that philosophy from there, I think there's a good there's a good advantage. Uh, it's automatic, uh, like a systems theory release valve. If we're like too busy and we're going, the December, January thing will force us to pause. Mm. Certain industries do come to a flat dead. And so you're in a different frame of mind. And even if that doesn't put planning, that fosters something. You, it forces you on your break to reflect on the year past. And, and to the extent you feel there's a gap, it creates some anxiety, which means it causes you to think differently about the year ahead. Mm which is a great benefit. It's like a snake uh, changing its skin or the seasons changing. It's a, it's a, it's a reset. Sometimes we all need a reset button mm. and, and it's a great default, I think. So there's a different view. Let, let, let's move now to the holiday element, the flattening of the, the holiday, that, that normal December holiday. Now, I'm sure this is different for everyone. So we all have a different experience of December, uh, that December holiday in the Southern Hemisphere. Have you, do you, 
have you found, first of all, the, the question to both of you is that you, you have the same experience of December, that it's, it's, too, it's still connected, it's more, becoming more and more connected to work, in other words, less and less of a, just a switch off, that's number one. And number two, uh, related to, do, what, do you, what do you think is that, do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing or an indifferent thing or it just is thing, it's, it's just changing? And the, sec the, second, uh, the second element there is, is around um, the, the fact that the, the quality of your holiday is a function of not doing anything that you normally do. It's like going to use a different part of your brain to let the, the, the brain, part of your brain that works all the time on the, on the problems have a complete rest and bring a completely new set of input mm -hmm. into your life for inspiration, you know, or rest. Mm. Just thoughts on that, on those elements? I mean, I'll speak from the um, journey of an entrepreneur. I think when you're starting off uh, in that first, we'll call it three, four years, your business is everything to you. You, you. you live, breathe it, and the idea of a holiday actually makes you anxious because um, in, that, in that time, you're thinking about all of the prospects that you want to pursue, and downtime seems like a disadvantage. So um, I think over the years, for me, what has evolved in terms of how obviously the business has evolved <coughs> and how I've settled into um, you know, this, this path, I've learned to you know, take those breaks at different times of the year, mm. not necessarily in December, so that when December comes, I'm not anxious and I'm able um, to disconnect. Um, and I'm not, I'm no longer anxious. I'm no longer anxious because I think for an, an entrepreneur starting out, you're thinking, January, I need to, you know, I need, I need that client, you know. And the reality is most clients only come back mid-Jan, mm. you know. So that screws your plan totally over, no matter how much strategizing you've done over the December period. Yeah. So I've learned that it's not a reflection on me, a reflection of my approach, but just a reflection of the environment and how then I need to adapt and say, okay, let me take time out in September so that I'm able to prepare for the next six to eight months, which takes me through to December, January. So my view, my personal view is that um, entrepreneurs need to learn to disconnect um, without the anxiety, whether it's December, whether it's June, whether it's, it's, it's September, you have to take that time out and do something completely different so that your frame of mind is different to, um, to how you come back and, and resolve certain issues. So how the audience ourselves will perceive this is based on perhaps the age and stage of your business mm. and your own age and stage. Um, so I, mm. I do think it evolves, the answer sure. changes mm. as you go. My own take is I like the way I see uh, Richard Branson's take on stuff and how it appears that it's going, which is, you know, you're working and holidaying and mixing and fun perpetually. Time, yeah. mm. It's, it's not a way like of life. It's not, yeah, it's, it's a way a of life rather than this delayed, I'm going to be happy when I go on that holiday kind yeah. of thing and it's this disaster for the in-between. So it should be mixed and meddled in between. Uh, I aspire to do that, I'm not doing that very well, <laughs> but uh, I, I do go on breaks in between like you mm. and I like that. Um, so I, I think people will settle in on that. I certainly see my entrepreneurial colleagues more in that kind of space, you know, spacing things out and holidays at weird times or just an impulsive break now and again. Yeah, I'd like to go, there's an there's a 18 day 
uh, rally in southern um, Asiatic countries, uh, you know, uh, annual event, 18 days, and I want to do that. Now I'm planning to do that. So that's got nothing to do with, uh, you know. Car rally. Hmm? Car rally. Yeah, but it's a fun rally, yeah, okay. not, not a racing kind of rally. And uh, I think Cannonball Rod. Anyway, and uh, I think people also have a pragmatic view. Mm. So this idea of... I, I can't imagine someone going on holiday and just working the whole way through. Mm -hmm. I don't think that happens a lot. That's just a delusion in our head. I don't see that. I also, I think more people are just going on holiday and switching off completely. And it's nothing wrong if there's a pragmatic thing you have to deal with, a work issue in between break. I tend to, over the last many years, to properly switch off from, from work when I'm on a year-end break. But when I'm in breaks in between, you know, you you're in, you interchange. You, you yeah. interchange. Last year I had to deal with something where I was overseas and and I was dealing with an important uh, 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 negotiation issue with a counterparty in Europe. The, as you know, their holiday season in mm. December they work through, right? And um, so I had to I had to make amend, I had to make some plans and adapt and deal with that for a few days and and, and carried on. You pragmatic. Well, that's uh, a good cue to take another break. Uh, mm -hmm. It's time for ad break now. We'll be right back with the last part of the Avoided Debate. Welcome back to the Avoided Debate. Uh, today we're talking about the, the concept of taking a year in break and whether that is the same that it used to be many years ago, given the fact that we now are still so connected uh, during December and January through our iPhones and our iPads and all sorts of other m means. And uh, whether strategy, the way that we deliver our strategy to our staff is still the same, uh, given you know, the, the current trends. Uh, and perhaps uh, it's just me and Kumaran and Mona Lisa, and you are, are, are getting great results from a January strategy to, to your team. A bit of a weird one here, I want to, as we conclude today around holidays. You know, you talk about very often, Kumaran, you're the one who talks about by design, or is this a design thing on purpose, deliberate? Or is it, you know, random, um, passive, you know, external locus of control? Is there a way you think that is there a way to design a holiday that is beneficial to your business? In other words, that you you say certain types of holidays result in a better you a better entrepreneur a better experience a better Im uh, inputs for the for for the the rest of the year so as an example um, you would go to a context which would feed your mm. strategy versus just going to sit on a beach somewhere mm. and just with no no input what do you think about that and if if you think that that's possible maybe some ideas of what what we can do around that I see my, uh, you, you, you chomping there. <laughs> yeah. So I don't agree with designing a holiday and how you can benefit your business. Mm. I wouldn't advocate that. That's my personal view. But I believe uh, sometimes I try and spruce it up or do something different where we design a holiday with, with some purpose. You know, you're thinking about that. And there's, uh, there's 
two, but I'll mention just one. So for the family holiday, a uh, year or two ago, we designed a nine-day trip, Im impulsive driven, to go to Cape Town and back road trip in the Easter period, but not booking any accommodation. So every day we lived for the day. Mm. And the kids had to go through the stress of booking accommodation. And that had so much of invention and you know, unintended consequences and stuff that we learned in between. They learned about small business. Uh, that wasn't the intent, but that's all the stuff that came out and conversing with different people. You know, it, uh, if we just designed it at the, at the outer ends and a whole lot of impromptu stuff happened. Mm. It was very interesting. Mm. Well, Lisa? I think it's, uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't advocate it, and I'll tell you, I think the, the mistake entrepreneurs often make is to isolate themselves from the, the immediate surroundings, and that would include family. So for me, my holidays are designed to connect with the people that support me, and as well as connecting with myself. So if that means just quiet time or doing something completely different, that not only benefits my family but also benefits the business you know so i think it's it's personality driven it's circumstantial driven how much time have you taken away from your personal life you know investing in the business and how do you balance that because as kumaran rightly said you know entrepreneurship is a lifestyle it's something that you've chosen and i think we often advocated to be um which it is, it's a, this heroic thing, and we make everyone who's doing you know, the daily things in corporate seem meaningless, but they're also building, they also then, they don't advocate that they've gone on holiday, that they're doing this, they just do things as their lifestyle determines. So personality and circumstantial driven is how my holidays are designed. Just to conclude with me, uh, uh, in December I never go away. I, I stay home and lick my wounds. <laughs> From from the year, and uh, basically, I love being in, in Johannesburg at this time. Everyone's gone Go. away, and I, I basically, um, it's it's convalescence for for me. It's about it's a real about nurturance yeah. for, for myself. And but the second thing is during the year when I design, think about holidays. I like to be in contexts which I've never been in before. Uh, that's the design piece. Is that I'm going to be in a posi position or a place where I have never ever been there before and mm. that then brings in all sorts of uh, other gifts uh, through that process. After the break I'm joined by Dr. Nick Erbel, CEO of Reciprocation Marketing Academy and we're going to dis uh, continue our discussion on uh, different types of leadership. Welcome back. This is the Big Small Business Show. Now we continue our series on leadership, on leadership for entrepreneurs. And my guest in studio today is Dr. Nick Erbel. He is CEO of Reciprocation Marketing Academy and the founder of Future of Leadership Forum. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about different subjects. We've spoken about innovation leadership uh, with Dr. Nick. He likes to be called Dr. Nick. We've spoken about uh, personal leadership, and today we are talking about marketing leadership. What is marketing leadership? Marketing leadership, in my view, is to understand the motivational drivers, I call it motivational intelligence, of the human being. And very simply, what is it that motivates human beings to take action? And in my view, there are seven drivers. First, right. there's assurance. We all need to have certainty about the future. 
The second one is challenge, and you can think already about great brands, for example, Land Rover or Virgin, that give you more challenge. The mm. third one is connection. How do I connect with other human beings? Significance, number four, how, how, what makes me feel more significant? Growth, how can I grow more? That's why we pay so much money for MBAs, mm. because they help us to grow. Contribution, very, very important. Contri how do you contribute to other human beings meaningfully? And the last one is higher association, which is meaning and purpose. So this is what you need to look for when you want to market and go to market. So it's, if I, I, when you're talking, I was creating a wheel, you know, with all those in, in the, the seven elements into a wheel. So when I'm thinking about marketing my business, marketing myself, and I choose, do I choose one? Do I choose many? Can I choose one for one campaign and another for another campaign? Got to, or do I need to keep consistent? You've got to choose your primary, your primary e-motivator, um, because that's really what allows you to drive communication, to communicate to the market, to reach your market, and to understand your market. What, what is driving your market? Is it the need for challenge? Red Bull builds the entire brand around challenge. If you think about it, Red Bull gives you wings. Now, it took, it's not easy. It took Red Bull three years, the founder, Dietrich Marcheset, three years to come up with that challenge formula, to come up with a brand promise, gives you wings. But now they have perfected it. They've taken it into Formula One. They're taking it into extreme sports. It literally, they're taking it into space. Felix Baumgartner. Mm. So they're taking it all the way. So you've got to pick your primary motivator. In the last couple of weeks, uh, talking about motivators, um, we've been talking about uh, different archetypes as well of people that, that represent this. We've spoken about Shaka, and we've spoken about Madiba. Are, are they, were they marketing leaders? Absolutely. Mandela actually was uh, applying a concept that today we call movement marketing. At a time during the struggle, when the ANC was very... Uh, almost timid in their marketing approach to the people. And he came up with some brilliant marketing moves to involve everybody. I mean, everybody wanted change, that was very clear. But what, what was lacking was people didn't have a tool to express their desire and to practically activate it. So if you think about the marches, if you think about the past burning campaign, where he started and then thousands followed him to burn their passes. One little thing you could do to become a part of a movement and bring about change. And Shaka? Shaka, what very few people know, Shaka did something that motivated the best soldiers and generals from around the region to join his army. That's how he grew his empire. He didn't grow his empire through fear, but by motivating the great warriors to join his army voluntarily. And he did that by removing what was the greatest terror at the time, which was the Isangomas, um, that practiced a certain ceremony that was called smelling out, to in those days literally um, repossess the wealthy and influential. And Shaka stopped that practice. And he also, in Shaka's uh, uh, case, used growth. He allowed his warriors, his army, his impi, to grow individually and to grow as a nation and obviously grow. And that, I think, was a key motivator that attracted people to join his company or his brand, his movement. All right, let's bring it back down to, to small business now. So I'm a small business owner. I want to become a marketing leader. I've heard your seven. I quickly go rewind, push, play, and I go through all the seven. I choose my primary, my primary. Uh, what, what would you call that? A primary emotivator. 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 But how do I do that? How do I choose the one that's right for me? Well, one of my clients, uh, you always says that 
what you need to do in your marketing, your customers are on pain islands. You need to move them to pleasure island. So don't describe the boat, don't describe the process, focus on where they want to go. And that client of mine, what he, he's developed a formula and he communicates in a way that his formula allows its clients to become the only one in the industry. So which emotivator is he communicating? He is communicating the emotivator of significance because he makes his clients feel more significant by believing they can, and ultimately they do, they can become the only one in the industry. Okay, now I've gone through that. I've, I've chosen my emotivator, my primary emotivator. Now what do I do? Do I then, how do I then execute now? Is it through, is it through a byline? Is it through my advertising, is it on my website? Like, what, what, is there a checklist I have to follow? It, How do I embed this now in the business? It's your brand line, it's your brand promise, it's your tagline. I call it the brand promise because that's exactly what should go into every single piece of communication, as you know, right below your company name. Mm. What are you promising? And what you're promising has to be something that is motivating your clients to buy. So it has to evolve and revolve around one of the seven emotivators. Whether you're helping your clients to become more significant, you're helping them to grow, you're helping them to have a bigger challenge, like for example Land Rover, when you buy a Land Rover, Land Rover gives you a sense of adventure, even if you just climb the pavement in Senton. Mm. What emote, and you've got to craft that into a brand promise. So my one here says accelerating success, is mine growth? Growth, I would say very much growth. In fact, you call it a pros prosperator, prosperator, which is growth, okay. growth, absolutely. And that's a great brand promise. And it goes right there below your company name where it should be okay. and should be on all your collateral. So it's that easy that we start, you, you choose this, you start putting it into your byline, into your collateral. But surely now the, the organization has to start living it as well. And it, you have to deliver on it. Absolutely. Right. You have so, to. So just take me a couple of steps into doing that. Well, there's basically now what we have to talk about, we have to talk about employee commitment. Because how committed are your employees to deliver the brand promise? And that's key, you've got to focus on making sure your employees understand what it takes to deliver the brand promise and deliver it consistently. Because obviously your brand promise is only as strong as the customer experience. So we now get to customer experience. In fact, what I call customer success. What is it or how do you make your customer more successful? That's a key question. Think about customer success and then get your employees involved in delivering that experience and that success. Sure, uh, I feel like I could sit the whole day and, 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 uh, and pick your, your brain around these. One last question for me around, around this is, is Small businesses talk about uh, you know budget today. Everyone's talking about uh, you know budget, 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 tight budgets. Can I do this without money? Can I become a mar marketing leader without money or very little money? Absolutely. In fact, one of my clients and LinkedIn, in my view, if you sell to businesses B two B, LinkedIn is the best tool, and you don't even need a premium account. You can have the free account. And if you do content marketing, and if you take your brand promise and use your brand promise to unpack your brand promise and to educate your clients, your target market on LinkedIn, what it takes, how do they get to that pleasure island? What is it that will get them to be more successful? If you do that and you do it consistently and you have a good profile and you have a good network on LinkedIn, that's all you need to do. 
We have to leave it there. Next week, uh, I'm welcoming you back when we're going to be talking about uh, nation-building leadership. I think something this country, uh, it's a conversation this country needs to have and looking forward to your thoughts on that. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, I'm joined by Tony de Fonseca, chairman of FASA, the Franchise Association of South Africa, to discuss FASA's goals and vision for the future in order to create more job opportunities in South Africa. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is the Big Small Business Show. Now, the Franchise Association of South Africa, also known as FASA, believes the franchise sector contributes 11.6% to the country's GDP and employs over 400,000 people in South Africa. FASA also believes that small business is the way to go when it comes to job creation in the future. Joining me now to share their vision in this regard is Tony de Fonseca, chairman of FASA, the Franchise Association of South Africa. Tony is also MD of the OBC Chicken and Meat Franchise, which services communities in township areas. Welcome, Tony. Thank you for having me. So how long, just before we get started, how long have you been El Presidente? For almost a year now. I'll be here in the new year, and I've been asked to sit for another year, so, so it'll be two-year tenure. So let's talk about franchises in, in South Africa. This is the business, uh, this big small business show. This is aimed at small businesses. Um, many people now might be, get, be getting retrenchment packages. Uh, how do I go about now when I start looking for a potential franchise to buy? How do I start looking for the one that's appropriate for me? Probably the easiest way is to go to actually the association's website is uh, www.fasa.co.za um, and there's a lot of information there about franchising itself so you can do quite a lot of research on the association's website first of all to make sure that it's, it's right for you and then of course you can delve into who the members are uh, of the association and FASA its main ambition and its main goal besides promoting franchising is really about promoting ethical franchising so all the members of the association are basically publicly um, publicly stated that they ethical franchisors, they'll stick to the code of conduct, of course stick to the Consumer Protection Act. So that's probably a good place to start and do the research and of course look at all the different categories and, and uh, maybe look up something that you're passionate about, not just where you think you're going to make lots of money, but rather something you're passionate about because if you're passionate about something, tendency will be that you'll com be more committed and hopefully the money will follow. A, lo a lot of people who uh, go into the franchise space make a mistake of thinking that it's it's still easy that even when I buy a franchise, I sort of put my feet up and the systems will um, sort everything out, the brand will speak for itself. That's not true, right? 100%. Now, I'd love to say it is, but there's no guarantee for success. At the end of the day, franchising operates in the economy that we're in, and we, when we're growing at point nothing percent, the economy is tough, and if it's tough, everybody is tough for franchising. But obviously, franchising itself, the propensity for success is so much more. As a matter of fact, statistically, 90% of franchise businesses succeed, where statistically, only 10% of independent businesses succeed. So certainly, and that's really because in most instances, you've not only got the support of the franchise or systems that have proven to work, but also the, 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 the knowledge and experience from the franchise or that'll help you find 
the right location, the right market, the right environment to trade in, and help you promote the business. And you've got the economies of scale where you can promote your brand a lot easier than if you're independent. Uh, so that really is is uh, um, why franchising has uh, um, weathered well in, 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 in the tough economy. But like I say, like you 100% said, it's not guaranteed for success. As a matter of fact, the franchisor can only do as so much for to promote you, to guide you, to assist you, to give you the systems, to give you the backup. At the end of the day, it's your business. You've got to work hard to make sure it works. Coming back to the question before mm. about, uh, let's call it uh, unethical, maybe, franchisors, mm. and that belong to, to FASA, um, what is the recourse that a, a franchisee can take if, if, let's say, there were promises not made or they're paying for advertising, which is not really happening. 100%. Well, from an association, keeping in mind that the association is a voluntary uh, um, association, and obviously we encourage all franchisors to be part of it, and there's a significant amount of, uh, of, of uh, franchisors that are part of the system. We've got a disciplinary committee um, that sits monthly if there's any complaints, analyzes it, obviously goes back to the franchisor, um, and then encourages to, you know, you've, you've, you've undertaken to commit to this code of ethics, so you've got to do this, and recommends uh, um, um, corrective action or, or rectifying the situation. Again, it's a voluntary association, so the only recourse if a franchisor doesn't uh, abide is obviously to ask them to leave the association. That's why it's important. That Has it happened? It's happened, yeah. Actually, this year we've had one or two situations where we've asked uh, franchisors rather not to be members of the association if that's the conduct they're going to be. Having said that, we realize because it's a voluntary association, that's the only recourse we have. Mm. So the, the association actually and the industry has been lobbying for um, having an, a franchise ombudsman, which we're closer to getting, and we're in discussion with government. And uh, as a matter of fact, it looks like the, the uh, code of conduct of the association will be used as a guideline to, to set up an industry uh, code. Um, and the ombudsman we're hoping is, is a mere year or two away, hopefully, but it has been a couple of years we're working on it. We are closer than we were, but certainly as an association of ethical franchisors, we've really been lobbying for an ombudsman, which then will obviously give a little bit more, more teeth. So we've certainly got a disciplinary committee. Um, we do um, take corrective action against franchisors that don't follow, uh, abide by the code, but as I say, at the moment it is voluntary. And of course, there's always the legal recourse, which tends to be a little bit expensive. So I do encourage prospective franchisees to do the research, make sure that they are members of the of the association where there's a little bit more leverage than somebody who isn't, you know. Let's change tack a little bit mm. and talk about um, the whole the, the sort of at a macro level, the franchising industry. There, there are many sectors of the economy where you aren't present, where internationally there is a presence mm. of franchise uh, operations in that space. Maybe just talk more to that and, and identify some of these areas where South Africa has potential to, to open up franchises. I think a country like South Africa, and the franchising is such a big category, and if we think of, of daily life, I mean, we really are touched by the franchising environment and almost everything we do without even realizing it, from postal services to uh, business services to, of course, what's commonly known as, or what's more, more well known in, in the food business. Um, but certainly a country like South Africa, I think we, we as, an, as an association are certainly encouraging a lot more people to think creatively about franchising. Um, we see trends in Europe that we, that we could see growing in South Africa where frailty could be a franchise service. Um, as a matter of fact, I mean, currently in the headlines is, is, is situations where people were placed in care that they weren't being cared for. Um, and, and franchising could go a long way in addressing those social needs. 
Um, because the franchise model really is about not only when I talk about a well-known brand, but it's also about training and supervising and overviewing that the services are being given. So a country like South Africa, as a matter of fact, the continent, a lot more, if government thinks a little bit differently, a lot of services could be provided to communities under a franchise model where an industry leader in a certain category could come in, train people in communities, more importantly, overview that the services are being delivered. So those are the type of things that I think could, in Europe we see, you know, frail care, um, elderly being looked after under, under franchise, uh, franchise services, anybody doing home care. In South Africa, we know of one or two concepts where they're taking people that are in the construction business, more in the informal sector, training them, instead of the guy standing on the side of the road with a cardboard sign, that they're being trained and then put out into businesses under a, a, a brand of a particular paint or hardware store or that type of thing. So I really, what we're trying to do is get people to think of franchising differently. We tend to think that franchising is only your, your local restaurant or your local mm. takeaways, and it's a lot more than that. There's a lot of other services, even from government level. I think there's, there's a lot more that can be done from an educational perspective to make people more aware of the franchising model and how that can be applied to, to, to supply services in countries like South Africa where social needs are so vast. And there is funds available that unfortunately sometimes could be better applied under a system using the franchising principles. We're going to have to leave it there, Tony. Thanks so much for being a sport and taking your shoes off. That's uh, lovely. It Thank seems you. like we have a sock franchise here between <laughs> you and I. Um, and uh, good luck with your presi presidency. Thank there. you so much for having me. It's time for my impressions for today, and I want to take uh, my impression from the interview with uh, Tony from FASA. And just to talk about franchise in general and why they've been such a phenomenal success uh, globally and uh, why I believe they will continue to be uh, a success. And that comes from a basic human nature, which is that humans like predictability. Our customers want a predictable outcome. Every single one of your customers out there is, is uh, your customer and expecting that the f if they buy something from you this time, the next time that they buy it, it will be exactly the same. When we go to a a burger joint or we, we go and go to a laundromat to our franchises, uh, we expect the fact that we have a replicable experience that is predictable. So where does that come from? It actually comes from our, our human nature, which, which if, is that we want to trust an outcome. And trust means that there, uh, are, there is a, a, a part of our brain that requires us to survive. In when we were in, in, in our, let's call it our developmental years as cavemen, and we were out there and we had to go and chase down that woolly mammoth. And we wanted to know that uh, if I ran this way and you ran that way, that the guy at the top of the, the, the mountain would throw the rock at the right time and kill the woolly mammoth. Otherwise, we would all die. We, trust was a very important part of human survival. And that was that if we could trust somebody, we could predict their behavior. And so predicting behavior became a very important part of our survival as a species. If you look at how humans uh, interact with our world, there is a huge amount of symmetry in our world. And the underlying uh, thinking behind that, in my view, is that I can predict where the edges will be. I can predict uh, w w that the symmetry on this phone, the symmetry on this clipboard, I can predict uh, the, the shape of, of this thing and that allows me to work better in my world and that means that, uh, that, that in order to predict we've created all sorts of laws about um, what, what to do and what not to do so 
if we had a, a plant and, and there was a rule that you should never eat that plant, those, those plants kill you. And if there was these plants, those plants might heal you. And so we create as human beings a whole bunch of laws about how to operate in our world in sh to ensure our survival. Coming back to franchising, this is exactly what the franchising model does for, for um, people. It gives a whole set of rules, it gives us a level of symmetry that it's rep replicable and there is a predictable outcome. A little bit of philosophy according to Alon, I'm sorry about that. Well that's it for my impressions today. Um, this is uh, your show and uh, we want to hear what you want to talk about and uh, perhaps you are a business uh, that is experiencing some issues and you want to come on our panel. Do email us on bigsmall at bdtv.co.za or interact with us on Twitter at bsbs underscore bdtv. It's goodbye from me and remember if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. And that's so predictable. The courage to grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today.